You're listening to Appetite for Change. We are passionate and purpose-driven, and our podcast connects you with truly incredible people, creating positive social impact with food. I'm Alina Duggan, and my co-host is Rob Reese. Hello, 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 and welcome to Appetite for Change. I'm Alina Duggan, and I'm joined by Rob Reese. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm all right. How are you? You good? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, yeah, we're getting through the summer break and, uh, well, yeah, my family's through the summer break. It still feels a little bit summer breakish to me. I'm not quite right in the headspace, I guess. And you've got some hot headspace. days coming up, haven't you? We certainly do. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to inflate Jonathan's, uh, backyard pool slide, uh, combo that he got for Christmas. <laughs> we'll be doing that over the Christmas, over the weekend rather. Uh, so I'm excited to see that in action and uh, that'll give us a little bit of relief. Um, and we're we're hoping uh, to get away. We're hoping to get away the next few days as well, have a little bit of break. We're staying put in Victoria. We, we, we're all here over Christmas, but we just thought let's get away to, um, we're going to a place called Cape Patterson, which I've never been to, but everyone says it's really lovely up there on the beach and the coast. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Ah, you guys have um, earned a bit of a, a bit of a trip away. You often uh, have something planned, and this is probably the longest that you've stayed put ever. It, it, it is actually. You know, part of our part of our decision to move to Australia was also to get time, if if not to travel within Australia, but to travel a little bit more, you know, around Asia and and, and places like that. And um, we were lucky to do that in the first two or three years that we were here. And then actually we thought, right, okay, well, we'll stop anyway. So yeah. we stopped for a year. Then we've had lockdown as well. and, and all these So you did lots travels. of travelling up and down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spin each other around in circles and go, off you go, and see what happens. <laughs> this is your so, adventure for today. Yeah. So we enjoyed 5Ks for a long period of time, so it's going to be nice to go further than that, that's for sure. Well, speaking of travel, this uh, our guests in today's episode are actually, you met them whilst traveling and we uh, came up with this idea for this podcast whilst you were traveling and meeting these wonderful people. And it's definitely somewhere that we would like to go back to oh, yes. um, as soon as is humanly, healthily possible. Um, they are just such amazing human beings. <laughs> it's, it, it really is, and and you know, uh, we'll explain the story in in, in the interview. Um, I, I love the country; they're amazing people. Um, I was there actually with my brother, who's who's a travel agent, J Five Travel, to give it to give him a plug. Um, and I'll give him a plug because he's he's an ethical travel travel organisation as well. And actually, um, when we walked when I walked away from meeting them, and, and I told him the story, he straight away invested in the flights to go to Finland from Delhi where they just won a, a, an education prize um, and he paid he paid for their flights to go which I thought was which is incredible but but that's the story the story that you'll hear is is is, is quite inspirational and will get people to definitely do something different as a result so this is Sonal and Jaswinda of Protsehan Foundation in Delhi it's uh in at its heart, a girl's refuge, uh, a safe space for education and healing and resilience building and leadership building um, with backgrounds in sommelier, uh, a little bit of uh, movie making and then banking <laughs> and law. It's it's quite incredible that they just, once they started, everything was thrown at this project. Uh, so we can't wait to introduce you to this wonderful 
couple and business team from Protsahan and we think you're really going to get a lot out of it. A small trigger warning, there are some issues that deal with uh, uh, incest, uh, some uh, childhood trauma and abuse and assault uh, comes up also. They are briefly mentioned, but Mm. for the whole... yeah, stick with it in terms of how uplifting it is. Obviously, if those are those are issues are close to you, this may be an episode that you'd like to skip because it is um, it it can be quite raw and triggering. Um, if you would like to listen to it, make sure that your support networks are in place to follow up with you should you need a chat or a shoulder or a coffee afterwards. Mm. For now, please enjoy Sonal and Jaswinda. Hello, 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 and welcome to Appetite for Change. I'm Alina Duggan and my co-host is Rob Reese, and we are joined today by Sanal and Jaswinda from the Potsahan India Foundation. And I am so delighted to talk to you both today. Oh, yes. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Alina. Thank you, uh, Rob. You guys, uh, Rob, you, you have been like an, like an ambassador for Potsahan. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we love you. Uh, I, w- I was just, um, I was lucky to meet you. I was introduced to you by Australian colleagues here just over so a year or so ago um, in part of a trade mission that I did. And we were looking to, you know, deliver some of our projects into India and then the world has changed dramatically. But I just remember that first meeting um, with yourselves where I, 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 my brief was, I want to find a non-profit organisation that's thinking really differently. I was, I was less worried about the, the issue that you were dealing with, but it was about the process of an organisation that was thinking about something really exciting and, and a different way of doing things. They said, you must go here. And I got in a taxi and I said, this is where I'm going, out of my hotel in the centre of Delhi. And they looked at me as if to say, are you sure you want to go there, sir? And I went, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm going. And um, we got in that cab and off, off, I, off I came. And then he kicked me out of the cab about five, ten minutes walk from where you actually are. And he said, I'm not taking you any further. It's, it's not safe. And I got out of that cab and there was very little signal left on my, my phone. <laughs> and I was thinking, <laughs> where am I? And all I could see around me was red mud and lots of women digging holes in the ground which I was thinking, this is, what's, what's this all about? And I got hold of you on the phone and you said, yeah, yeah, come up this way and this way. And then I walked into this amazing place with all the shoes obviously at the, at the doorstep and all of these girls were sat on the floor having a lesson. I think it was a Google, a Google um, oh, education yeah, yeah. lesson. Yes, yes, yes. And so, so now you were, you were busy all over the place and just when do you go? And like, she's really busy. Um, yeah, you, you, you had that conversation with me. It's kind of like, not really sure why you're here. Don't know where <laughs> this is going to go. Uh, and then eventually we, we, we connected about, about purpose. Yeah. And then you brought me through to the back into your office and we had a cup of tea and a curry puff. Oh, you and, remember all of that? Oh, yeah, I remember oh, the yeah. curry puff. Yep. And it, was, it was a vivid tale that he has told me as well. So yeah. it, you, the experience has left such an incredible impression. Oh, it's certainly yeah. And like so many of our guests, we could have spoken for hours and hours and hours. And so it was a joy. And, and having you on here, we're, we're going to tell your story. 
because um, it, it's amazing. So well, actually, we want you to tell it. Yeah. But before we get into Pratsahan, can you tell me about your first careers and how your paths crossed and then we'll start the transition into mm. what you're doing now and why we would love our listeners to, to know about that story. Uh, she tells that story better. Because Excellent. Tell me. With all of those vivid details, we want to paint a picture for yeah. our viewers, yeah. our listeners, viewers. Oh, my goodness. Um, because, you know, he his version of how we met and how we fell in love is so dry. It makes me want to cry, you know, not in a good way. And uh, so, yeah, so, I, so anytime, you know, somebody, a lot of people ask us the story uh, because, you know, in a lot of ways, um, uh, you know, something that we realized, I think, a couple of years into... Mm-hmm being with each other that um, we we do break a lot of stereotypes of, you know, uh, being, you know, it was an inter-religious marriage, it was an interfaith marriage, uh, something that's not very common in India. Um, um, you know, we, we, so his hair is longer than mine, clearly, as you can see as well. Um, he is the, the quieter, the calmer uh, version of me. I'm the more, um, I, I love to be an introvert, but I have to be an extrovert because the work demands so but I think um, uh, initially um, he was a journalist and he'll tell you more about it. I was into science, hardcore sciences, microbiology and all of that. And then um, I got to do my MBA because I wanted to get into the vaccine development and, you know, the immunobiology part of the world, um, enzymes and, you know, Biocon was my, um, my my kind of a goal organization. So that was a time when I was 15, 16, 20, right? And wow. um, I think um, uh, with on the first day of the shoot where I was, um, I also, after the MBA uh, bit of things, I also realized, so so that was the time, I think it was 2008, nine mm, when the seven, first, yeah. yeah, when the recession was, you know, about to be hit or was already there in the markets. And um, the after MBA, no placements were happening. So everybody was, you know, like in, in my cohort or in my MBA batch completely, um, you know, um, like just taken off the entire recession, um, you know, bandwagon. And that was a time when I was also figuring that what is it that I want to do? Um, I I think I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was sure of the like 99 things I didn't want to do, Elena. <laughs> Which is just as important for <laughs> any youngsters listening out there. Take the pressure off yourself. It's just as important to find out what you don't want to do. Yeah. You will yeah. get there. <laughs> And you know, everybody keeps talking about have you hit the purpose of your life? Have you? I think purpose of life is is too big a question to bother ourselves mm-hmm. with. Um, it, you know, it, it really has to be about service of any kind in any way. Um, and if we can do it with a lot of empathy, a lot of creativity, a lot of fun, a lot of just being happy in our hearts, as yeah. we say, um, a lot of things become easier along the path and we'll talk about it. But I think at that point in time, um, from advertising to, you know, from uh, the um, the enzyme and the vaccine industries to, so all of that bit I had seen and uh, finally, you know, got into some sort of advertising finally. But wow. he, he has another story to say though. Let's <laughs> hear <laughs> the other side. And then I will, once you say that, then I'll talk about how we met part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was actually on, on the tech side of it. I, um, I'm By education, I'm an engineer, a software engineer, like a typical Indian, right? You're either an engineer or you're a doctor. Anything <laughs> else, your parents don't approve of it, right? So I was an engineer. And uh, 
however, my first job out of uh, uh, engineering was in uh, public relations. Okay. Uh, and the second job was in actually in uh, journalism. So I've uh -huh. been flitting between journalism and public relations uh, for about 15-ish years before I met her. And, oh, wow. Uh, then, yeah, I was... Uh, so once, I, I think, first two years I was in PR. Uh -huh. And then uh, I was in journalism. And my first stint was in uh, real estate and business journalism. And uh -huh. from there, I moved to features uh, and food and uh, wine. Lifestyle. Lifestyle. And wine, <laughs> I've been writing about wine since I was 19, if I'm not wrong. Oh, amazing. Uh, so even though the engineering in education, you still had an interest. Um, did, it, did the employment come out of necessity or uh, passion? Uh, passion. Excellent. And was that supported by your family? Because as you said, there's lots of, uh, lots of difference or paradox in terms of what is expected and um, who you are, who you guys represent, how you got together, all of those things. So I am sort of wondering where the support networks were, how you had that confidence and resilience to continue on. <laughs> uh, I think my family was not very tuned into my choice of career, especially yeah. after uh, having completed my engineering, barely by the skin of my teeth, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but I did. Uh, I, and if I think of it, I'm fairly logical uh, person who yeah. understands what goes into coding and what goes into programming. It's all about logic, right? If you can apply that, then you're good at it. Uh, a lot of my batchmates, they are earning in millions right now. They are at big positions across mm -hmm. the globe in, in uh, big companies. Uh, but I was pretty sure that, I, I mean, engineering was, yeah, okay, I am interested in logic and engineering and circuit yeah. boards and everything. But it was not a, uh, something that I was okay with as a career. I mean, I and I guess whilst there is creative problem solving, it's not necessarily creative expression, which sounds like is a part of you. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like I didn't want to uh, be sitting behind a desk and just writing code all day, all through the rest of my life, right? So, and uh, at the same time, uh, I think. Um, in 98, late 98 or 99, early 99, if I'm not wrong, uh, March of 99. Yeah. Uh, I had a bit of an accident and I hit my, hurt my knees big time. So uh, the other option I had at that point of time was uh, join the army. Uh, but ah. with yeah. bad knees, wow. I was an absolute reject from there. And right. How incredible the different path that you could have wow. taken. Yeah. Far out. So, uh, but then you would have never met. Yeah. Uh, yep. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the moment. <laughs> Love is in the air. So, uh, yeah. So, when I was uh, recuperating from that knee injury, is yes. when I came across this uh, television series on Discovery Channel, uh, The Thirsty Traveler. And uh, that's when my interest got. Uh, you know, just like, ooh, what's yeah, this? Yeah, it peaked, you know, yeah. Kind of 
thing. And then I started reading about uh, wines and beers and whiskeys and everything. And I was hooked. I, I was sold. <laughs> like, this, is, this was something that I wanted to do. Uh, yeah. So eventually I did get to it in about three, four years time from then. Okay. Uh, after like a year, year and a half, two years in uh, business journalism. Then I eventually got into features, wrote about wines, traveled uh, quite a bit, tasting different wines in different regions, uh, did all of that. And then it was like, uh, I, was at, I was heading a features magazine at that point in time. And after that, it was just like, I don't know, something uh, was... Kind you were of, just bored of I all the bored. lifestyle and the <laughs> yeah. big fancy places. And then you had to come and, you know, yeah. get more grassroots. Yeah, so I... Because uh, these were luxury hotels and you're going around the world and... and oh, yeah, and I was... At one point in time, I was actually... Even if I was in Delhi, I was having five meals a day all in five-star hotels and restaurants. Oh, wow. Ah. Uh, I was okay. tasting food twice, uh, two breakfasts, two lunches or, like, you know, something like that. Yeah. I was just shuttling between hotels and restaurants, tasting food, writing about it. Just doing that. And then one day yeah. you just get bored of it. Yeah. And uh, then I thought maybe... Well, I think you need something more fulfilling, more yeah. more soul-fulfilling rather than uh, the Sorry. physical <laughs> nourishment. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> that's when I thought that, you know, I also probably should have uh, some nest egg, uh, some money in the bank as well. So I switched to public relations once again. And that's when I met her. Uh, okay. We, yeah. Because that was the time when I was um, along with uh, Prot Sahan. I was taking up consulting projects, um, you know, on, on the side um, sort of a thing. And I used to go there twice a week or something. And he used to be there like five, five or six days a week. Um, so we barely met. Although we were on the same extended team, uh, we barely uh -huh. met. But then I think six, eight months in that organization, I kind of uh, gave up. Because I also realized that this is, you know, though it's on the consulting side, you know, the side gig. But it was not something that was giving me joy of any kind at all. Mm. Um, it definitely it kind of um, gave me enough money to kind of, you know, run the month um, and more for my parents and savings, etc. But it, there was no joy. It was mm. so dry. And I think I've never been um, able, I've never been able to convince myself to be in a place um, if it's dry and there's no joy. You know, I, I think I just kind of move away from the place. Um, and uh, that was one of those times when I quit, um, uh, another six, eight months, I think he quit yeah, that place yeah. and we actually met after, um, you know, leaving that, um, that organization, uh, when he uh -huh. came to volunteer at Protsah and he said, I'm a comms guy, I'm a PR person, I can make websites, I can do all the, you know, communications yeah. for your organization. So really focusing on your strengths, what you can both bring to the organization. And he so just came in as a volunteer. Um, uh -huh. And I thought, like, just another volunteer, he's going to, you know, come for 10, 15 days and then just run off because it's not easy to come here and, you know, do things. And but he's got staying power. Yeah. And he's been, and he's been there, what, is this, this 2010? Were you, was it 2010 you, you yes. set up for yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so you wouldn't have been able to celebrate a 10-year anniversary or anything this year in... Uh, with all of the goings on? Yes, no. we were not able to at all. No. I mean, that was one of those so, plans, but yeah. So for our listeners, are you able to talk us through... Mm. What is Pratsahan? Yeah. <laughs> what um, is it? Mm. 
in all of its complexities and simplicity because I know that there are some key goals and targets, but I know that to achieve that it, it's it's quite a complex quite a complex topic. You know, Elena, just to begin with, um, most simply put, uh, protsahan is a Hindi word that means encouragement. Yeah, so when we started, um, it all started with this, um, you know, me meeting a, you know, a young mother, 36-ish years old, um, and she she had six daughters. She was pregnant with a seventh baby, um, very heavily visibly pregnant. And I had gone to shoot, uh, as I mentioned, I was in the advertising space, uh, comms, you know, hardcore communications. And I'd gone to shoot for a film that time that I was working on. And I was like this, you know, young assistant director holding the reflector, um, just that sort of a job. Um, and I meet this young mother. Um, I asked her, so the, the whole scene was, you know, especially for, for your listeners, if I just, you know, ha- kind of have to paint a picture. It was more, um on the lines of, uh, so I had this little digital camera. Uh, remember those little uh, pixel cameras that we used to have? Oh, yes. Like, these small <laughs> ones, uh, digital ones. And um, I just kind of, you know, you know, just walked in that space. And I remember um, meeting this little, you know, 10, 11 month old baby sitting at the corner of a cot and um, poking, you know, uh, in dried cow dung, poking holes with a pencil. And I, it just kind of took me by, you know, um, sort of a little surprise in a not good way at all. And uh, the mother was sitting on the cot. So uh, just a random conversation. I offered the app, the only apple that I had in my bag. Um, and food always becomes this conversation, you know, starter, right? Uh, breaks barriers of all kinds at so many levels. So that was the only apple I had. Um, gave it to the mother. And the mother tells me, uh, so I gave it to the child. And the mother tells me that she wouldn't know what to do with it because she doesn't know that it is to be eaten. Because apple is a luxury um, product, you know. Um, yes. The only thing that they have had in the name of a fruit is either a banana, that's that that too on good days, um, because that's like one or two rupees uh, per banana. But an apple, a good apple um, of a good variety costs about 18, 20, 25 rupees, uh, which is like one third of a dollar, right? Um, and that's too much of a luxury for us to afford. So she wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, and so she asked some other kid, you know, to bring a knife and then she cut it into and then offered it to her kids. Um, and they ate. And while this conversation was going on, Elena, I remember this little girl, about eight, seven and a half-ish years old. Uh, the mother asked her. Her mother asked her to get a, get get us chai again. You know, food being um, yeah. at that point of just breaking barriers when humans get together, right? Um, and this little girl. Now you and I would walk like this, right? This girl was walking like this, like limping, literally, um, was not able to walk right. And um, my, my first question to the mom was that, has she fallen down? Has she gotten herself hurt while playing? Is she okay? Um, because she was carrying chai for us, for, for me in the train. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this very, very clearly because on, on that day, this mother had, you know, got this extra, she, she got the milk for the chai um for for me because otherwise most and again milk is a luxury right generally that family um and and she told me later that you know generally the family would have black tea uh, if Mm -hmm. at all they would have tea uh but for me that day and i was an absolute stranger right she had no business to get me a milk chai uh but she did and this kid when she was walking towards me she was not walking straight so when i asked the mother she says that every three four days no she's not fallen down or whatever every three four days some um 
young gentleman, 40, 45, 50 year old would come, take her um, and then send her back in another three or four days. And something that, you know, I was just trying to digest what I, I didn't even understand what was she, you know, trying to mention or say. And then she says, we, we don't worry, uh, madam, you know, we give we, we make sure all the condoms, etc. are in place. And, you know, only like 15, 20, 25 seconds into the conversation, I realized that um, she's actually talking about selling her kid every third day so that with the money that this, you know, eight-year-old brings, she can feed the rest of the five daughters that she has. And she was also visibly pregnant. So my next question to her was, um, what is it that you're going to do with the seventh baby, uh, which is there in your womb? And she tells me again, as a very matter-of-fact, candid way, that, uh, Madam, this time if it's a girl, uh, I'm going to strangle her the minute she's born. Uh, if it's a boy, we will definitely, you know, grow, you know, help him grow up, get him educated. He will earn and give back. But no more girls because I have six girls and I can't take no more. And I think, um, after, you know, there, there are points, um, Elena, when you, um, a, a lot of your, oh, the career, oh, you know, uh, so even though I, I come from a very middle class background, my mm -hmm. education has always been priority in my family, right? For this yeah. child, leave alone food, education, Survival. Yeah. her basic, yeah, her basic safety was not even a priority. Basic dignity. Mm -hmm. Basic dignity was being ridiculed every other day. And I think a lot of things changed from that day onwards. I, I, you know, when I look back, I connect the dots. Um, I didn't have any business plans. I didn't have, like I always tell, uh, you know, say these days that I didn't have a plan B. Neither did I have yeah. B plans. Both, both, yeah. you know, both ways. Because if I had gone in with a B plan, if I had gone in with a thought process and a strategic yeah. roadmap or blueprint, I would have never started the organization. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that moment. Like so many of people in, in non-profit and purpose-driven kind of stuff, you know there's a problem, you're just going to get on and try and find a way to solve it. And yeah. the rest will follow. The rest will follow. And within three hours, we started uh, that centre, yeah. the first centre, which in another couple of months, oh, we got registered. Such instant impact and action mm. in response. It's, um, and it's that girl um, that I talk about is actually giving yeah. her 10 standard exams. Uh, Brilliant. Oh, that's a happy ending. So heartwarming. <laughs> We've got to have a happy ending on. And I imagine that the impact that you've had on her is is not going to just stay with her because she's going to pay it forward to so many others having lived that experience as well. Um, even her sister. So, so that was where the idea was born. What does a day or a week look like? In your foundation, in a pre-COVID world, this is. Oh yeah. So what 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 would we typically uh, see going? What what are the daily activities? Um, so we do a lot of, um, and you know, just to add on if I miss <laughs> on something because yeah. they're like a million. Um, uh, we we mostly it's about a lot of home visits in the mornings um, because all the girls who come to us um, that you know we've started working with we've made sure that we've put them into schools into regular mm -hmm. government schools. Um, because we also know and we were sure, and like I said, you know, we were sure more of what we didn't want to do when we started rather than what we wanted to do. So one of the things that we didn't want to do was start a parallel schooling system, right? Mm -hmm. We knew that they were, you know, fabulous government schools. We knew that there were some, you know, the schooling system infrastructure was there. We didn't have to. Yeah, so you needed to do something complementary as opposed to Absolutely. replacing it. Or reinventing the wheel. <laughs> exactly. And what we really yeah. needed to do was have enrollments of the girls in the schools rather than building another infrastructure. 
So the first, um, you know, first few months or years rather, you know, went on by, you know, like that. But eventually, so the first halves of the day in the life of a girl um, who comes to Protsahan is going to the government school first or going to any good uh, school nearby her place first. Um, then at around 12.30, 1.30, she comes to us. There is this beautiful meditation, um, you know, guided counseling meditation for half an hour with some, I think, um, some very warm music that, um, because music is, or a lot of our work, Elena, is with art. And, you know, we, we yes. talk more about it. But one of the reasons why we, again, kind of chose art or kind of art chose us, you know, or, yeah. or Protsahan, was that we, we were okay with science and math and English and we knew that these are critical, you know, logical things that, that any child or student needs to kind of learn. But yeah. uh, what this girl does not have access to is just the fact, you know, if, if she understood that, you know, she has a sense of self-worth, she has a dignity and not all girls. So although we started with, uh, you know, rescuing that kid from going to a brothel, etc., not all girls who come to Protsahan uh, are from those backgrounds. Most of them are from extremely poor, intergenerationally poor families where food is a problem, where none of the people in their family have, you know, had any even uh, education till fifth grade. So when you're Can you give with, us a sense of, what's the sense of scale and numbers then in, in terms of those those problems, those challenges? Because I think, I think that's really important. I remember you mentioning numbers to me and I think for those of us that are in... They'll be listening to this certainly here in Australia, colleagues in the UK and Australia. I think the scale of what you're dealing with is it's, it's something quite intense. So what, are, what are the sort of numbers? So uh, if we look at the girls that we work with, uh, that sample size alone, uh, you can say about 89% of the girls that we have worked with in the past uh, have not had access to school, uh, healthcare, nutrition, uh, safe right. spaces. And when we are talking about this yeah. 89%, this is just the communities in, you know, direct communities Definitely where, uh, Rob, you had come um, when you were in Delhi. This is, um, this 89% would comprise of about... Um, about 400,000. 400 to 500,000 girls yeah. in just that particular, um, you know, yeah, area. Yeah. Yeah. But when so yeah. I adore that your first step is to enrol them in public education so that they are straight away connecting with uh, learning. That's the first step, that education in, in terms of equal opportunity and providing those yeah. first steps and engaging them in the learning process. I'm sure that that just gives them hunger and inspiration to to turn up every day. Yes, not just, yes. Not just that, uh, Irina. The thing is that uh, when you talk about uh, the government school uh, system over here in India, it's also uh, about giving them that extra bit of nutrition because uh, uh, the government schools have this scheme that uh, uh, the midday meal, uh, they call it. Ah, fantastic. So every kid who's coming in gets a meal. Very nutritious meal at that. Yeah. Um, so it, even if it's... So you know that they're getting at least one full meal a day? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also, you know, once the kid goes to the school and then, so like I said, you know, as a part of the routine, then um, after the school is over, she comes to us meditations and music and cartoons and a lot of that is there then she gets support and help with you know tuition support with her um you know school subjects so if mm -hmm. she's mostly these subjects are maths and science which which the girls mm -hmm. find tough you know like really hard um and a lot of that maths and science is also taught through music and arts you know lovely uh, and then they get, yeah cross curricular uh, absolutely a lot of these girls if not all have you know um have seen a lot of trauma um, um some of that being mental 
um, mm. sexual violence, violence that, you know, domestic violence at home, the father has killed the mother. So crazy amount of trauma. And, you know, when you're looking at a child or working with a child like that, there is only as much that um, a report card score would tell you. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Yes. As a teacher prior to MasterChef, I lived for Parent Teacher Night where I actually got to have a conversation with their parents because there is so much that I can cannot put in a ticker box. Excellent. So you're covering so many different aspects of the whole child um, and where what what school can't provide, you're filling all of those gaps. How do you how do you I know I know you're you're quite rightly passionate around tolerance and, and empathy. How do you maintain your tolerance with the system that allows these sort of challenges to go on day after day? I know you're you're providing your bit with a solution, but what do you do to to try and tackle that bigger picture? How do you stay tolerant? Uh, good question. Tough question. <laughs> Tough question. Yeah. There are days when you're... Just you just want to bang your head into the wall, mm. uh, but then there are days when you meet somebody uh, from the government, from the system, from within the system, who is just as passionate about uh, doing something, even if it's like taking the first step. You and know. some of the smallest bureaucrats, I yeah, think, that yeah. we've met the younger, um, the younger, younger bureaucrats. Yeah. Um, they, they come are off passionate, you yeah. know. They come off with with the idea that they want to change the system. Yeah, it's the system that eventually changes them. But until that happens, they try, right? And yeah. they uh, the small steps that they take. Sometimes they uh, just snowball into into bigger things. But you know, I think sometimes um, uh, what what you mentioned, Rob, that's that's a very true um, reflection of I think uh, a lot of young people would face, right? Whether it's a for-profit, non-profit, mm-hmm. anytime yeah. I think when you're trying to navigate a system, there'll be existential crisis moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You will feel, um, you know, and the scale of the problems that we, and it's not that just in India. I'm sure in Australia, US, uh, you know, Belgium, anywhere across in the most developed world that you look at. Um, the scale of problems that you're trying to deal with at any given point in time with any given you know frame of reference, the, the scale will always be huge. But you know, I want the young people to know, and that's what we keep telling all the time, don't yeah. let the scale scare you, right? Yeah. Because I think the moment you start looking at numbers, I think that's when you go like, oh, dude, I cannot look at this problem. It's very overwhelming. Where do I start? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So you got to start small. And uh, so something that we always tell, uh, again, young people uh, is that, so there's this very beautiful starfish story. I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, I remember because in my uh, school, um, the mothers and the sisters, it was a Christian convent. Um, they, and I was, I used to stand at the last, you know, in, in the lines, in the assembly lines. And But I, I, I don't remember anything in from the morning assembly bit, but just this story. <laughs> and um, it's it's like uh, that there is this old, gen, you know, old gentleman and this f- young five-year-old um, who are having a conversation on a beach. Um, and there are a lot of starfish that uh, high tide last night has thrown across the shore. And this uh, little boy, five-year-old, six-year-old, is picking up every starfish, putting you know it back in the water, picking up every starfish single-handedly, putting it back in the water. And the gentleman says, dude, there are like 10,000s and thousands on the shore. How many of them you think you can put, put them back, right? And you will just exhaust yourself. It's not going to make any sense. But this boy says, it's not my responsibility at five years old to be putting every starfish back into the water. But for every one that I put back, 
the entire world for that one starfish has changed and i think yeah. we, mm-hmm. we want the young yeah. people to know one life that you serve one life that you touch warmly you don't have to start a non-profit you can just be kind in your actions you can just be more graceful um you know more more with servitude in your actions and i think this world needs that now more than ever well i think you've actually answered the question previous as well in terms of having a uh, uh, impact on, I'm, I'm sure that you can't touch every person that you, you want to. I'm sure that there are, uh, that community or family may interrupt the process in some girls reaching your programs, but you know that the ones that you do have contact with are going to then pass on all of that. They are going to leave the world a better place. Their offspring, if they choose to, are going to live a better life. The communities that they touch are going to live a better life. So even though you might not be able to get to everybody and I'm sure that you meet some that you would like to help, that it's, yeah, it's not all going to be possible, but you're not giving up. And so I think that's where your tolerance and inspiration and motivation continues because... Yeah, you, it's for each starfish that you're helping. And we were we were close to that when I when I was there last year. I remember you saying that you you you. We were talking about how do we change some of the system stuff. You were saying again, you had your first kind of graduate of senior girls that were going through and, and going yeah. into going into the workplace and yeah. changing the workplace. Because I remember when I was trying to our kitchen challenge model is this blend of business people and community members side by side. But some of the business people in India that I've been talking to were going, actually, that's one, we wouldn't want to want, want to show our vulnerability in front of a community group uh, as part of, part of a project. But also there was a bit of an attitude that said, well, we've had to do it tough out there and we've done all right. So these other individuals should be able to do it tough out there. There was a really strange attitude and and real desperation, as you say, for your graduates to come through and 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 become those younger bureaucrats and and change it. And you know, so how are the, uh, how are those graduates? Where are they? What are they so, doing? You know, um, one of the things that uh, again just happened as a consequence, unintended consequence, uh, but beautifully so, was that so we we made sure that they you know go went through their tenth and the twelfth grades and then the college and all of that. But most of them, because we use a lot of arts and performing arts and creativity, you know, while we are working with them, be it meditations, be it, you know, a lot of guided counseling, healing work, as we say, um, a lot of them ended up as being photographers, as being artists, as being dancers, you know, as being filmmakers. So I think um, although we, we, we were like, you know, they want they started off like, you know, hey, I, I would want to have a bank job. But now she's a photographer, you know, at a clay mm-hmm. art studio. So I think telling um, a story that way. Yeah. yeah. So they they have imbibed creativity in them in a way where not just their thinking or you know the superficiality of things they're earning their livelihoods and financial yeah. independence with that. Um, and and some of them are earning more than the uh, yeah. men in the family. And now they have these girls have a say in the financial matters of the family which they never had. So the sense because, of self worth uh, yeah. just goes up many fold. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, when you and Rob met, you were actually considering um, uh, trying to incorporate Kitchen Challenge uh, model or parts of into your work. But this year has actually brought about change as well. Like you've had to pivot and you're including more food in into this year. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, I, I'd love to know how food impacts others. So, um, yeah, let me know. 
so the first thing that happened was as soon as the uh, I mean India was one of the first ones to put a lockdown in place and it was a very harsh one uh, in fact if you I don't know how much of it got out of India but uh, there were images and there were clippings of uh, cops beating up people who were trying to just go about uh, looking for food you know just trying to buy food and even the uh, the, the vegetable vendors and the fruit vendors, their carts were toppled, their fruit was, their their vegetables were thrown, uh, trampled on and, and just destroyed. So there was a lot of uh, negativity at that point in time and people were desperate. People yeah. had lost their jobs, they had lost their income, they had lost their homes, they had no rent to pay and, and they were being thrown out. And most of the girls that we work with directly in the communities, they come from backgrounds of, you know, um, daily wage workers, construction yeah. workers, um, yeah. manual scavengers. It's, it's pretty crazy, right? And for a family like that, where you barely have enough to last you, so there, there is no concept of savings, yeah. right? Um, no, yeah, day to day, week to week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, for a family like that to expect for a, you know, for a four or a six week or an eight week lockdown when the jobs and the factories mm. and everything was shut um, and definitely the schools were shut. So a lot of violence started taking place. And this is not just in India again, you know, um, I think this is this is a sad reality of the world across, you know, um, the way the political systems are working, the way things. So the people, the, the most the ones at the bottomest of the pyramid are taking the brunt in ways that, you know, it's it's crazy in more ways than we can explain. So the family is there and the girls, you know, we, we started reaching out to them. And the first thing they said was, you know, a lot of times people in the nonprofit world also, Elena, have this thing that, uh, uh, hey, if you're working on the issue of, let's say, violence against children, uh, you should only be working, oh, otherwise there'll be a mission drift and all these, you know, terminologies of otherwise the needle would not... As opposed to big picture yeah. solution. Yeah. What yeah. Systematic approaches, common themes of our, of our podcast. Yeah. This is a systematic approach, absolutely. It has we're, to we're be holistic. You. And the first thing, you know, we, we keep mm. talking about the girls need to thrive you know using arts and technology and all of that mm -hmm. but here the question was not of thriving it was of surviving we had to get into food mm -hmm. um, we had never done food rehabilitation you know kind of a re um, relief work etc but those four months I think um, they were insane yeah um, we, we so just to be clear even though all of the lockdown and all of the different uh, industries that were on uh, that were completely shut down the girls were still allowed to come to you guys or did you so have to do this no, we had to go to them. Uh, okay, thank so, you. Yeah, I was, I was wondering how you were going to manage it all and how you were going to stay safe and, and still abide by um, so we what, had to what be restrictions were in place. Um, we, I think um, uh, the first week we were kind of, you know, locked down in our homes, but then uh, eventually we, we, we had to go out and all the masks and sanitizers and gloves and all of that, but we really had to go in the community and uh, touch wood, we've been okay yeah. uh, by following basic protocols, like just wearing a mask, I think. Yeah. Uh, but we've been doing all the community work and I think much more than anything, uh, not just personally the two of us, but the entire team that Rob met that, um, you know, that day, they have been the frontline warriors um, mm -hmm. at, in, in ways more than one. So reaching out to, you know, more than 1,500, 1,600 girls and their families every day um, with dry rations, with, you know, cooked food support um, and all of that. And something again, you know, and when we say empathy, empathy to yeah. a point of understanding that just because it's a systemic level food or 
problem and you're trying to look at a solution they don't want you know rice and dals every day you have to yeah. make the food you know, appropriate and interesting yeah. and yeah. yeah yeah there's no point in giving a gift if it yeah and, we, and we total, we're totally we, on board we, with we that we totally get you we, 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 uh, uh, we, but in terms of seeing the, the both of you yeah. and your team turning up that's so morale building and the connectivity that you're maintaining these girls are not being forgotten they know that there is going to be something to come back to there's there's hope there's value there's pride um as a in being a part of um your foundation so i i admire your um persistence and i'm sure some days would have been a lot harder than others um, and I'm sure walking into the homes as opposed to some of the girls coming to you, that would have also been hard because families are under even more pressure. Uh, yes, I imagine that you would have been a very bright spark in their days. Can, can I ask you one thing around, um, I suppose it's not only the food stuff, uh, food relief work, but but generally we've got some themes that come out from these around you can only make these solutions work if you involve if you involve the community. So how how have you from that very first moment where you where, where you you were hearing from that mum with with seven seven kids how how have you generally created that authentic participation of the community in defining the way in which the organisation grows and develops rather than just being you know the tick box exercise of well I've I've done a survey I've had a few questions and this is what we're going to do. How do you do it? How do you make it work? I think the girls have been the uh, the, the front line on that themselves. Uh, so what happened was the the first batch, uh, the first few batches of girls, they are the champions right now. Hmm. You know, uh, the the oldest ones who are like 19, 20 years old, uh, 19 and 20 years old. Uh, some of them are pursuing psychology honors. One of them is pursuing law. One of them is doing this, that, and uh, they know what they want. They know what they want, and, and they are the want ones to listen to them. Yeah, and they are the ones who are actually driving the community yeah. interaction. Uh, so this one story that I always tell everybody is: uh, few years ago, uh, four years ago, uh, the girls made a movie on child marriage because child marriage is one of the biggest things that affects them directly, mm. big way. Uh, as soon as a girl starts menstruating, she is considered able uh, to be old enough off. to be married off yeah. right and uh, if she's married young uh, she she's the parents more yeah the parents will have to pay less dowry they'll mm. have, have to spend less money all of that comes into play uh, she uh, they won't have to bear the expense of her education or her food or her you know just the basic health care and everything right so uh, it affects them in more ways than one so they, uh, the girls made a movie on child marriage, and, and I think we didn't have we didn't budget we didn't, it yeah, because yeah. we didn't know. Uh, one day yeah. they just come up to us, so we were planning to do some absolutely completely different exercise, and you know, for the next couple of yeah, months with it, them it on, on design, design thinking. Yeah, it was yeah, 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 yeah. Design yeah, yeah. thinking. Yeah. It was about uh, uh, that uh, prototyping, prototyping and human-centered and design, yeah, human -centered and something. Design. And then mm -hmm. I think they came up and they said, you know, we. Uh, so one of these thirteen-year-old girls, I remember now that you mentioned, yeah. uh, she comes up and she says that um, you know one of my fourteen-year-old friends, uh, she got married and she had a baby and she died. 
um, and you know I want to do something in the community mm. so all of our human centered design and all of that <laughs> I think we completely had to like you know chuck that off yeah. and we the next six months eight months was a process when 38 girls came together with some very fantastic bunch of support uh, that we received um, and I think um, they, they, they made yeah, this, they made this movie, movie which finally ended up getting yeah. we, a great yeah. international film festival award or something yeah and and uh, we showcased that movie at a big uh, hall uh, in in central delhi yeah. uh, this mm-hmm. is a, a government sponsored art com- arts complex mm-hmm. big one and they had a huge auditorium over there so we hired buses and we got people from right. the community over there the parents and the community members and the community leaders, the leaders, the religious uh, leaders over there. And the parents saw that, you know, my girl kids, is my on girl the is camera, on is on the, on the screen. screen. And they you know? maybe hearing and seeing oh, their no, voice for the that. first time. Not just that. So this yeah. one kid who played the role of a police officer in that movie, the fa- her father, her cried. father cried and he <laughs> said, I want to say something. He jumps, he onto, the, he jumps the cap, onto, the yeah. sta- onto the stage with a mic and he says, uh, so... My daughter, I'm I not will, gonna make, I'm not gonna marry, marry her. her. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna marry her young. She goes to uh, study as uh, much as she wants, become uh, whoever she wants to be and in life. And he stayed on that promise. Yeah, he is. And this girl is one of our strongest youth peer workers in the community. In the community right now, she earns a living for herself. And she's taking care of five members of her family. So and you know, she's and she's pursuing higher education. So so I think yeah. when when that's you how you make change. Yeah. That's how you make change. <laughs> now seeing the girls like her. Yeah. We had uh, the the that time when you came to us, Rob. Uh, we had about hundred thirty uh, girls yeah. enrolled with us. Now we have over three hundred. Yeah. As of today. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And how has your staff had to, have they also doubled? (laughs) Yes, so we had to hire more people. More people, Um, We had to really reinvent a lot of ways in which we worked. Uh, the pandemic. Have you got a new school? Have you moved? Have you moved site? Because you were looking for, you were trying to find premises. So we started one, started, more yeah, one more center. Um, another one is opening uh, in, uh, in January. In January, another one is opening. Uh, so that's incredible. Opening. Child protection center. Okay. So although we say that about 300, 320 girls would be, you know, be coming every day, and that's a very deep, intensive work that we do with each of them. Um, so when we start a child protection center in any community. Um, so these few girls would come to the center, but the child protection services, the government linkages to the schemes, etc., go on then for about three to 4,000 girls in that community. So they might not be coming to get their tuition support and, you know, arts classes, etc. But we reach out to them with, so yeah. for example, if there are incest cases in the community. So um, some of the, you know, uh, child protection issues that have come up in the pandemic specifically for girls, um, two, two core areas, one child marriage that he mentioned, uh, and the other being that of incest. Um, and I think um, there, there is no state system to say, okay, this is the right way to you know, solve a problem for a child who's been raped by her own father. And I think uh, when, when cases like that arise, um, it's, it's, an, it's, it's a snowballing of you know, complexities at another level. But how do you then also make the communities come and take ownership? Like Rob was asking, you know, how, how often do you, you hear or listen to the communities? And I think rather than putting the child who has any way suffered the trauma of incest, rather than institutionalizing her and putting her in a state, um, you know, sort of an institution, we make sure the perpetrator is kind of either jailed or removed from the immediate surroundings of the child, etc. Why should the child leave her mother or yeah. her siblings? 
right yeah. so looking at so again when we say empathy is the core of what we do and who we are um we 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 kind of i think that's the only thing we know probably yeah. Yeah. systems definitely are critical but they come secondary and i guess that's your guiding light like you sort of go does this uh serve our 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 goals do these few words that we live and breathe by is this serving that purpose if it isn't <laughs> Just as you said at the beginning, if it's not serving you, get rid of it and move on to, to how it does serve you. Um, I'm I'm uh, I could listen and talk to you and learn <laughs> from you all day, and um, I'm conscious of the time um, in terms of it it running low. Uh, tell me, like uh, Rob has such incredible memories of bringing it bringing it back to food, bringing it back to, to these girls and how they connect with one another and these shared safe spaces that you create and the togetherness. Um, do they, do they get together and have a celebratory meals? Do they get, um, if you could tell us a little bit about, about that and, uh, maybe some local, local cuisine, what's their favorites? What's your favorites? What do you guys do together? Yeah. My silly question is, is there a good Indian wine? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, there are. Really? Yeah, there are. Okay, let's know. Yeah. Uh, next time you're around, or I'll bring you some. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely do that. Uh, so about these girls, though, I think uh, when I don't remember when uh, was it that uh, you came to visit us, Rob? Which month? October. October last year. Yeah. yeah. So October, October. and uh, December. Uh, November, in fact, we started off with uh, the nutrition program. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nutrition mm. program at at our center. And I think so, we spoke to him that we are beginning to yeah, start something. Yeah. Or, yeah. So that started yeah. in November. In November, we started yeah. with that. So we, so the kids get a meal in in their school in the daytime, and then we. What we offer them is a basic protein, protein snack, snack. Because we also Excellent. realize that what the girls get in their schools is basic um, rice and pulses, or you know, simple chapati with um, some sort of uh, a sabji or a vegetable, uh, which is carbs, you know, basic stuff. But we also realized that the girls would need a lot of protein. And their yes. the, the nutrition for the girls is not a priority in their families at all. So, for yeah. example, if there are four rotis or four chapatis made uh, and two are given to the girl child and two are given to the boy child, but if the boy feels more hungry on that day, one chapati from the girl's plate is given to the boy. Um, so, And something that we've seen. So we also realized that the girls who were coming to our center, like he mentioned, um, Protein was a component that was clearly missing. So a lot of dals and pulses and, you know, um, um, chana, what would you mm. put, grams. So we, uh, so we started off with... So lots of fiber, lots of carbohydrates. Yeah. Lots of proteins. But lots of protein eggs, also. Milk. Eggs, milk. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, Bengal gram and... Uh, a lot of that. A lot of, lot of that uh, stuff. Yeah. And that becomes like a, a mid-afternoon uh, mid snack for the girls. They Excellent. just like drop all their classes and they just <laughs> yes out. i'm sure that they are very keen to to refuel for the the rest of the evening <laughs> so for example um in winters we um had we, we just had enough resources to give them one hot you know glass of milk uh, and you remember this particular bakery uh, from these very fabulous people um you know they they gave us these 300 boxes of cookies then why should the girls have just milk they should have have them with Aww. cookies so i think uh, there, there is enough kindness and there is also no matter how crazy the world looks like right now at a lot of levels we 
we we firmly believe that there is a lot of um opportunity for people to volunteer for people to contribute for people to come together as yeah. human beings yeah. i think yeah. um just one little example that i would give and i think um, that's something that i absolutely adore about jaswinder as well that so see he so he's a sikh right and sikhs wear this turban um and i remember um, um you know we were we were looking at um, getting the sanitary napkins done for the girls um so although they use the the the, the market available sanitary napkins we try to get them you know that but there was also this um, specific session where we wanted to teach them you know for 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 girls who would never be able to probably sustainably you know mm-hmm. it, today we are probably providing them with sanitary napkins but tomorrow they might not be able yeah. to buy it from the market yeah. so we also wanted to teach them how do you you know create one with cotton clothes and i remember he gave away pieces of his turban cloth um and um, you know for and i was like why is he doing that and he said um you know it's it's required i i cannot forget that moment because in the sikh culture um the the, the your turban cloth is is very sacred right and he said that if it can give dignity to a girl there is no more, there's no better use for a cloth that i'm not using now so i think um uh. when we again talk about humanity or kindness or empathy it it has to start from places that will not be on excel sheets yeah you're great people you that uh, just totally uh, embodies everything that you guys represent i adore that story thank you for sharing that last little bit with us ah oh. I told you. I told you. <laughs> I told you you'd love them. I, I, I want your story personally. The story of the organisation is is amazing. The story of the girls that you support is um, it's traumatic and hard to listen to, and it'll be hard for many of the people that that listen to this. And and you say it because you're seeing it every day and. So there's so many and it's the normal for yeah, so it's many the, it's your it's your and it's your it's your normal that you're in and the way you there's so many words that you've passed over in the conversation that you just you just kind of go incest um yeah you know because what, what, that is the all everyday these things yeah um But that, to again, have that much impact stunning. and for the girls to be as important as teachers, as our mm. teachers, as they are students and uh, community members in your spaces, in your safe spaces, um, in a space that Rob was told was unsafe. He's not being taken <laughs> any further and yet you walk just over the hill and here's this uh, just gorgeous sanctuary that you have created and now you've got two more spaces as well. I'm... I'm yeah in deep admiration of you both and brilliant uh, people. Yes, thank you so much for sharing your story. I could talk to you all day. We may have to to get you back. We may have to talk to some of your girls and I'd love to share some of those resources that you've described with our listeners. Um I'll pop them into the links um eventually when we yeah. Ah, oh, thank you so much both. Thank you for being thank here. You. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing and sharing your stories. Or in Hindi as they say dhanyawad. Thank you. Ah, thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, another super inspiring, uh heavy but light. <laughs> a, a wonderful mixed bag uh with Sonal and Justin. I'm I'm so grateful to have spent some time with them. 
Yeah, it's a, a an interesting roller coaster of a conversation, isn't it? And and roller coaster for them as a, as an organisation in terms of where they started and where they are now. Um, I was introduced to them by um, colleagues here in Melbourne and links also into Australia Trade, and so really valued going to see it on location and if anyone is in you know visiting and, and going to that part of the world you know, do reach out to them um do go and see the magnificent work that they're doing um with a very simple structure um i just as you know as i said in the interview i, I remember that going to that that place for the very first time and thinking this this can't be right this you know it, it was literally going into 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 a hut um, yeah. um and a bit like yeah i think um like a like a Doctor Who's kind of TARDIS kind of stuff. You went into this small space and in it was, it was just hundreds of girls and um, lessons going on and lots of people around and noise and and laughter and 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 pleasure and 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 for those disturbing stories that you heard there, rest assured that there are there is joy there as well and that's what uh, the two of them and, and all of their team bring about this immense joy and, and I came away uplifted gobsmacked by the numbers and figures of of of, of, of rapes that occur during because um, there's a lack of lack of outside toilets in that space in in, in that area so uh, whilst particularly whilst females are going to the toilet in the open air without 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 um, without protection that's when sexual assaults are happening. Support or uh, chaperones yeah. or any of yeah. that stuff, yeah. yes. And that's when the number of rapes and things are happening. And you just think, oh, again, it's another one that you hear these things and you go, oh, that's awful. That's, that's... But the scale of it and the number that's happening day after day uh-huh. um, and the work that they do is just fundamental to to equality and, and to giving young girls and women the best education that we possibly can to, to improve this world and opportunities and hope and life skills and just being fed every day to allow those, all of that to build within those individuals. Yeah. Um, the scale is mind-boggling, almost too too hard to comprehend. Um, and so Nal does mention it in, in sort of a, uh, for, for some listeners, it may have appeared as dismissive, but I think she's had to build a bit of mm. armour around telling some of these stories because otherwise she would crumple. So instead she's putting all of her, using that as fuel and and, and putting everything into uh, the remedy or the prevention or the, yeah. the upskilling and the strengths and the resilience building of these girls and the courses that they're putting together. And, I mean, yeah. in such a small space of time they're able to, they're looking at upscaling, they're looking at yeah. opening to international donation um, yeah. and international connection. I know that's an area that we very briefly spoke about. They, they aren't able to accept international donation at the moment, but there are other ways to help. I know that... Uh, we're looking at potentially partnering a, a Sydney girls' refuge um, type of space so that there is sort of overseas connection and uh, I, I think with sharing of those vulnerabilities comes even further strength and connection and um, to yes. know and, and, and belonging and not knowing and knowing that you're not alone. Um, they sort and of I'd, 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 yeah, I'd really hope we can link up also with one here in Melbourne. Um, Project Respect, which again is um, supporting 
um, young women, all women from sex, sex, sex industry yeah. um, as well. And, and yeah, it wouldn't it be great if we, between you and me and, and them, we were able to put these three organisations together. Yeah, to so whilst borders are closed, whilst international mm. funding is closed, there are still ways for us to connect. Um, they were also talking about different resources in terms of uh, creative and expressive outlets and lessons. So if that's an area that any of our listeners uh, may like to connect with them yeah. or contribute to or have some ideas or maybe like to even run a, 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 an online tutorial, they do have the facilities to be able to to handle those sorts of virtual meetings. That's exactly how we spoke to them and recorded this podcast. Um, the foundation is a, there's information about them on their website, Protsahan India Foundation. They are also across social media platforms and, um, the video that we mentioned briefly that is available on their YouTube channel so that you can, um, I guess, connect some of the faces with mm. these amazing stories mm. and especially uh, some of the girls that have been there from the very beginning who are now taking action into their own hands and creating these amazing social enterprise spaces. And... It will light your heart up. Oh. Yeah, watch it. It will just light you up <laughs> and you'll just be like, oh, wow, I, I, I want to be part of that. I want to I want to, I want to, find my way to, to support it. I, th- I think it's really interesting, as you said, what you said there, because I... I, I yeah. As a chief executive of, of, of a number of, of non-profits over the years, every now and again when you're on that platform and you're telling the story, there's a moment where you, you almost feel like you, you, it, you're normalising whatever the challenge or the problem is and you can feel like you're on automatic pilot when you're, when you're telling the story. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think what Sanal did there was actually it's, it's part of her defence mechanism Um because of the stories that she is dealing with every day, I would probably imagine if we asked her, she could probably name every single girl that's probably been through oh, their, their pathway. Without and a she doubt. probably knows every single one. And every um, one of their families, yeah. I imagine, especially over yeah. this last year in and in terms of the pivot that they've had to do in, mm-hmm. in providing food and connecting with each of those uh, individuals and their families to make sure that they're not alone. Again, that's another, you know, with, with, I, I can't imagine that sense of scale. We've, we've talked about pivot a couple of times on, with some of our guests on, on this platform and we've all had to do it. I can't imagine that, that for them how difficult that must have been with the resources and the logistics that they had available to be able to, to, to do the pivot into that food relief program and maintain the connection and maintain education at the same time that's just a hugely phenomenal type of task to achieve and And yet when we spoke about it it was just sort of like well that's what had to happen there's no other option there it there was (laughs) it was nothing was too hard and they were going to make it happen and and in doing so they're also looking at upscaling like yeah it's not yeah nothing has stood still for even a moment it's uh yeah quite phenomenal and look, you've been to India. We we, we both love it. Um, I'll do whatever I can to go back to go back there again. But for people that haven't been to India, it's this it's packed <laughs> with people, and um, majority of those come across as full of joy with very little mm-hmm. in their lives. It's packed with colour and smell and noise. And it's, oh, it's a sensation overload it's in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so again, knowing all of that and 
and seeing the images, we've all already seen images of India during during the pandemic and COVID. Uh, I can only have um, total respect for every single thing that they have done. And what an interesting couple and how oh, they met. And absolutely. The yeah. Uh, quite a, um, a, a rarity, I would imagine. Mm. Um, and something uh, another similarity that they they share with Nidhi and her partner in terms of how they came together and that their families may have taken a, a small adjustment to how that mm-hmm. was going yeah. to work um but both also honoring uh themselves as individuals and as a couple and I, I loved the story uh, about Jaswinda uh, taking some of his his own cloth and sharing it, and think and sort Beautiful. of in terms uh, that just epitomizes both of them mm-hmm. to me. This um, uh, there's there's nothing more important than a, a girl's dignity and yeah. oh, just heart wrenching but amazing from the absolute <laughs> depths of darkness that yeah. would these some of these girls would be facing the absolute other end of this spectrum is just so bright yeah. and light and hopeful and strong. And I mean, they're having impact on local lawmaking, uh, things that se- must seem impossible to the girls that are living these mm. lives. And they, uh, yeah, it's. You can see why we're going to do our first kitchen challenge in India there, can't you? <laughs> well, yeah. And that was part of the reason that you were yeah. there to try and figure that out. So mm. it's, um, and whether or not it's uh, in physical, our presence there physically or whether uh, we we have to figure out another way to make this happen, these people are doers and so I think we're going to have to <laughs> step up uh, to their, yeah. their action and, and figure out a way to, to make sure I, that we I can. I think we'd love to both go, wouldn't we, and, yes. and, and, and do that and um, deliver a challenge to that group alongside another group of corporates and, and side by side. Um, and if we can bring our families, because I feel like we'll just be dragging them, <laughs> stopping them, trying to pull them away from eating every stop of the way. It's yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, both such big fans of Indian cuisine. And, have you had Indian wine? I'm surprised about that. I had it when I was over there, but as soon okay. as he, uh, just when I started telling us about any of the names, that, that was over my head. So I couldn't have mm. been specific enough. Um I don't know that it's necessarily always received a positive rap, but we've got some of a list of the best, right? Yes, he has. He sent he <laughs> since that because I think he probably thought I might have offended him, which I apologise about. Uh, but um, yeah, he sent me a good list. I've got six different vineyards that he's, he's listed for me in suppliers. So um, if you are interested, and look, if you're listening in India um, and you've got some great tips of of of, of wine that's been produced in India, uh, any farmers as well? I think any produce at all that might surprise the rest of the world. Yeah. Because I think maybe we we might get a little bit stuck in our own image of what is produced Mm. Um, and uh, the amount of organic farming that's going on and, uh, I guess, support for local farmers. There was a lot of that going on in Bangalore, just outside of Bangalore mm. when I was there, mm. and they are able to supply a lot of the hospitality venues. So there is a greater focus on how to do it better. Um, and, yeah, I, I was really excited to, yeah. to to hear of so many incredible wines. And we'll share that. We'll share that on our, our Instagram post afterwards. But, but again, if you're listening, I, I, I want to know more about that regional cuisine of India oh, and yes. the differences. And, uh, and I'm sure, um, particularly, I think, I think yourself, uh, you've got some, you've got some um, big fan backs in India, haven't you? And, oh, and MasterChef was, was huge there. Yeah, MasterChef is quite big there. It was, um, 
it was quite a thrill actually being able to go over there and share the experience mm. with people who are so passionate, not only about cricket, but about food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a joy. And uh, we talked about briefly in terms of people who have very little giving the most. And that mm. was very much the case. Um, almost every person who had the opportunity to interact with me brought me some gift, some gorgeousness. The day that I arrived was actually my birthday and my Australian Indian friend actually organized a local bakery over there to have a cake in my room when I arrived. So my my 24-hour birthday went a little bit longer because I was on the plane and then arrived. But in terms of how community work together and and this generosity of spirit and resources, Mm -hmm. it is just, it's gorgeous. We, look, we we could probably go on and might turn this into an interview in itself. I, I, I remember my my first time there was as part of British UK trade and and having to set up this British food festival for four weeks uh, in Delhi and Bangalore, and uh, all the produce at that time was coming from the UK. And the long story short was it never made it. It got condemned at the airport and never got out. So. I ended up having to go around all the different places trying to source as much British produce as I can for this wow. for this festival. Um, and I did this British festival and we celebrated all great British stuff. But what I really loved was the end of the day and going back out and, and eating the Indian cuisines and trying the various different herbs and spices and going to the markets and being at the backside homes of those of, of the chefs and everything else that, that went that went with it. Um it was a long while ago since I did, did that trip, and I've been back a few times since. But I, I, apart from moving here to Australia, uh, India's India's my most favourite place in the world. It really is. And I think when we go over there, our uh, head chef will probably be Sebastian Simon. I know that yes, he listens in, and yeah. I know that we are trying, still trying to figure out a way yeah. to work all together. Um, yeah. He was a chef for my events while I was over there, and he also uh, lives in Melbourne. Um, mm. Is a, an educator at Le Cordon Bleu as well as running his own salt company, Lava Salt. He's, he's got a bunch of stuff there, so I think that we'll be. Um, it would be delightful to be able to bring him over there as a part of Kitchen Challenge or, or some other project. But yeah. it was um, he was a huge wealth of knowledge for, uh, as, as you say, in terms of what ingredients are available, <laughs> what's what's what what are we going to do? Um, I know that they were just starting growing uh, quinoa there uh, for, yeah. f- of all things. Like there was just there was a huge sort of innovation in agriculture. So. And you have to accept the pace of life there as well. <laughs> Despite all of that noise and everything else that goes with it and it feels like everything's a rush, everything's actually the complete opposite. <laughs> it's slow. Yeah. It's slow. And um, we all understand why. That's the important thing. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, a brilliant place. And they, they were brilliant guests. So, look, follow us on the Instagrams. We are getting Check some gorgeous feedback from our yep. listeners, which is... Um, so heartwarming because we are making it for you to connect with these incredible people and organizations and it's um it's it's really wonderful to see that they are having impact and inspiring your day and uplifting you in well there's there's a lot of negative news out there over the Mm. last 12 to 14 months Mm. and it uh, can be sometimes overwhelming so we're delighted to be able to bring you good news stories that are having that positive impact on your lives they're true heroes. <laughs> um, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Remember to connect with us on all of our social media channels. Um, if you can, 
like, subscribe, give us some reviews. All of those tools will enable us to bring you more episodes and connect you with even more of those heroes. Bye for now.